many of you have ever had that dream related to clothes or clothing malfunction? You know, the dream when you wake up and you're, you know, you're, you're, you're supposedly awake, you go to work or school and you don't have any pants on or something like that. How many have had the clothing dreams, right? Uh, or maybe you were wearing the most bizarre outfit ever your first day at work because you're worried about what to wear the next day at work and it was like, you know, a clown outfit or something and you're like, why? why am I having dreams? Now, maybe not too many have had dreams about clothes, but here's something I know we've all had. We've all had arguments about clothes, haven't we? Any parents of teens in the house that ever had those moments where you're having a healthy, strong discussion concerning clothing? Now, how many of you who are now parents can look back on your teen years and remember having the same conversation with your parents about what you are choosing to wear or not wear. Now, lest you think this is a talk about Christian outfits and modesty, it's not. But I do want to say there are things that look really bad on Christians. And I'm not talking about stretchy pants or anything like that, okay? Just saying if you're over 40, stretchy pants might not be an option, guys. I, at least tight, skinny jeans may not be an option if you're over 40. But... That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about there are things that Christians do that don't look good on them. But there are also things that Christians do that look really good on them. And this is what Paul is talking about a couple of times in some letters that he wrote. Ways that we should be clothed as followers of Jesus. Before we get to the Colossian passage, I just want to share a couple of them in different letters where he's talked about this very you know, down-to-earth idea about how we clothe ourselves as Christians. And he, he says in Romans 13, 14, he says, rather, so he's talking about things we shouldn't do, so things that look ugly on Christians, okay, but rather clothe yourself with the Lord Jesus Christ and do not think about how to gratify the desires of the flesh. Clothing ourselves with Jesus Christ. Galatians 3, 26 and 27 so in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. So Paul's challenge to all the churches in this Greek Roman now empire, but Greek-influenced world where anything goes. It's much like America today. In the Greek and Roman worlds, it was all about indulging yourself. And he's saying, as Christ's followers, there are things that we need to, to put off, to take off, and there are things that we need to put on, much like we would take off or put on garments of clothing. So how do we do that? How do we clothe ourselves with Christ? I remember hearing that uh, as a young person going, how do you do that, right? I mean, I've heard of clothing brands, labels. How many of you remember doing this as a teenager? Your parents got you the cheap jeans, and so you went to the store, cut off the label of the jeans you wanted to wear, and then sewed those onto your pants. Anybody ever do that before? Any honest people in the group? Am I the only one who... <laughs> the only one who saw somebody do that? I'm not saying I did it, all right? But how do you have this Jesus brand of clothing? How do you clothe yourself with Christ? That's what Paul takes on to this church at Colossa. Now, to remind you, the Colossian church, uh, Paul had never been to. 
Most churches Paul had planted, he had, he had taught there, and then he raised up leaders, and then he left, and he would go to plant another church. And he had not yet been to Colossae, but one of his disciples that he had mentored in the faith, named Epaphras, was the pastor of this church, and the church was doing really well. But they were infiltrating by false teachers who were coming in and teaching something different than Jesus. It was a Jesus plus or a Jesus is not enough message. And uh, so Epaphras goes and visits Paul. Paul's actually at this time in prison. He's in Rome and he hears about what's happening and he feels like he needs to write a letter of encouragement to this church he had never been to but feels very connected with in Christ Jesus. So he writes this letter and he, he talks about a lot of things we've already covered. If you've missed any of these messages, they're now <laughs> all available online. Uh, you can follow us there at albanync.org. But in Colossians chapter 3, he focuses now on how Christians can actually be clothed with Christ. And it begins by being properly um, set in your values, in your mindset. Let's look at it. Colossians chapter 3, verse 1. He says, Since then you have been raised with Christ... Raised with Christ simply meaning you, you have died to yourself and you're now living for Christ. We haven't been raised literally yet, okay? But the way we live has been raised with Christ. He says then, set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. And set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. Why? For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. So what Paul is saying is there's going to come a time when Christ is going to come and we're going to be with him. But in the meantime, we have to set our hearts and our minds where he is. That means to be thinking about the things that God would think about. And so this idea of setting your heart, heart is where your affections are. Heart is, is where your feelings are. And so we're to be, have our feelings and our affections dictated or, or established not by what we feel. Because that comes and goes every day, doesn't it? I mean, we, if we just live by our own feelings, man, it's like a roller coaster ride. But we're to set our hearts, our affections, the things that are important to us above. Having a, a heavenly or Christ perspective of how we love and how we set our affections. He also says to set your mind, and that's where our thoughts are. That's where our focus is. And what he's basically saying is, as Christians, your perspective has changed. Our perspective is no longer from just this selfish-based life that we tend to live. Our perspective now is from how Christ would see things. And his perspective was radically different. That's why when he came and he taught, it was like, who is this guy? You know, he's different, but we like him. He's saying things that actually are good and wholesome and right. And so we change our perspective to things above. So setting our sights on the realities of heaven doesn't mean that we're so heavenly minded that we're no earthly good, as you've heard probably said over and over and over again. But actually, because we are heavenly minded, we do really good and we look really good and we live really good here in the plane in which we live. So this change in focus from here and thinking about our own ways to there, what it basically does is it also changes our values. Now, some of you remember what you lived like before Jesus, and you kind of had a, a value system that drove what you did. Oftentimes, that value system was very self-centered, or it was very earthly. 
But when you met Jesus, something changed. In fact, the Bible says, Paul says in Corinthians, that you become a new creation. So something has changed. There's, there's become now within you, and we, and we call it the work of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit comes and dwells in the hearts of a believer, and the Holy Spirit does work within us that makes us want to be like Jesus. And so all of a sudden, we have a different way of looking at things, and we have a different value system. And some of you have observed a Christian or a person who recently was saved, and you noticed, wow, there's a lot of things that appear different about them. They, they seem to be thinking about things differently than they did before. And that's what he's really talking about. Setting our, th- our, our hearts and our minds on things above refers to this orientation in life. That we're not now oriented by what's here, but what's in heaven. And so from now on, the Christian will view everything against the backdrop of eternity, no longer just how we want to live in our world today. So here's the thing. How, how do I know where my heart and mind are set? Here's a pretty easy test. Your current actions and attitudes, so the things that are happening right now in your life, your current actions and attitudes reveal where your heart and your mind are set. All right? This is uh, where the rubber meets the road, so to speak, as Christians, all right? If you don't like or others don't like what you're doing or how you are feeling, how you emote yourself, okay, then there might be a heart and mindset problem. Now, The thing about Christianity is this isn't like automatic that our minds and hearts all of a sudden automatically are mandated to think the way God thinks about things. We still have a choice in this matter. And that's why there are some Christians or professed Christians who can act so horrifically in our world today. And it gives Christ a bad rap. It gives the church a bad rap. And it's because their heart and mindset really is not on things above. It's about a personal agenda, it's about a political agenda, it's about an earthly agenda, but it can sound Christianish. but it, boy, is far from it. Why? Because your current attitudes and actions do reveal where your heart and mind is set. And if you don't like what it is, or if others don't like what they experience with you, then you have a heart and mindset problem. And so before we can even talk about being clothed with Christ, you have to recognize that it starts with making sure that my heart and mind are focusing not on myself or an agenda that seems selfishly motivated, but on Christ. It's that, you know, remember the WWJD era? I mean, there was like even a song about what would Jesus do. Uh, Some of you, I'm dating myself a little bit in the earlier 80, late 90s, mid 90s Christian era. The bracelet, what would Jesus do? Everybody made for crafts and vacation Bible school, right? I mean, come on. But that's the concept. What would Jesus do? So how are we able to set our hearts and minds on things above? Paul tells you how. Because you died to the ways of this world. Believe it or not, when you came to Jesus, you made a decision. There was a a death and life experience that happened at your salvation. What happened was you were dying to the way you used to live. But there was also life because Jesus said, I've come to give abundant life. So there's a death to the way we used to live, and then there's a life that he calls us to live. So at your salvation, you could say that there was death. Jesus died for you, yes, but you also died to you. In fact, I I think Paul argues this point, that a person is either dead in sin, which means we're still living in it, or is dead to sin. But there really is no in between. 
A person's either dead in their sins, which is people who have not yet come to Christ, or there are people who are dead to sin. Those are followers of Jesus. That lure of sin is still very real, but we could say, you are dead to me, right? I mean, that's what we need to be saying to this lustful desire or this this temptation we feel within, because it's still there. We need to say, hang on, you're dead to me. And remember, when we're looking at this letter at Colossians, remember, Paul is writing not to sinners. He's writing to Christians. He's writing to people in the church, reminding them. Why? Because he knows the battle that's going on inside of each one of us. In fact, Paul talks about that battle often in Romans. He talks about it in Galatians where he says there's basically a battle between the the spirit within us that wants to follow Jesus and, and wants to become more like him, but there's also this thing in us called the sinful nature that still is very much there. And it's a battle that goes on inside. And Paul basically says, look, you want to determine who the winner is, that's who you follow most. So if you want to continue to trip over your own struggles and sins, then keep yielding to the sinful nature. But if you want to follow the life I'm calling you to and being clothed in Christ, then you listen to the voice of the Spirit within you and you feel that prompting and you follow what God says in his word. So he reminds us that it's a choice every day that we have to make, just like putting on clothes, that we have to choose daily that I'm died to the old way I used to live and now I'm living for Jesus. He goes on, look, Colossians 3, 5 to 7, he says this. So put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature. And then he lists a few. This isn't conclusive, but he says sexual immorality. Why would he list that one first? Because in the Greek Greek and Roman world, sexuality was the big deal, like it is today. In fact, most people uh, in the the Roman world had no issue with sexual improprieties. Because in their religion, which was a, a false god, pagan Roman religion... There was no moral bearing about sexuality. So you could kind of do whatever you want. It didn't really matter. But Christians had a different standard that when we came to follow God, he had a standard for what sexuality looks like. So he takes on this issue of sexual immorality, of impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming, it says. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived. Let's take a look at these just briefly. Sexual immorality basically is, again, anything outside of God's design for sex. And we've talked about this in the frequently asked questions or whatever I called it, you asked for it series that we did, um, where we talked about, well, what is God's design? And, And the Bible clearly states, Old Testament, New Testament, God's design for sexuality is one man, one woman within a covenant marriage. That is the biblical, you know, borders around sexuality. Impurity, then, is just having a dirty mind. And you know people like that, dirty-minded people who, whose thoughts wander where they shouldn't wander, and they linger a little too long where they shouldn't stay. He goes on to say that you have lust and evil desires, which are kind of a, a tandem work of the heart, which allows our passions to run unguarded and ends up moving us in a direction that we don't want to be. And then he says greed. Why would he jump from what seems to be sexuality to what sounds so financial? That's because he's talking about greed in a way that, that you would basically define it as an arrogant and heartless belief that everything, including people, exists for my pleasure and my benefit. And we're creating a culture, aren't we, in America today, where men view women as commodities to bring pleasure. That's greed, friends. 
That's what that is. We begin to look at people around us for what we can get out of them for our own selfish benefit. So he's actually tying sexuality to the issue of greed because when we as a culture allow these things to exist where we think these are for our pleasure, then we are becoming greedy, which leads, then he says, to idolatry. What is idolatry? Anything that comes before God. Anything that we literally worship. And if you look at the American culture, there are things that we appear to worship. In fact, you go overseas to a, to a foreign country where they kind of moderate the kind of stuff that's allowed to happen in a country. They look at the American culture and they think that every woman who comes from America to their foreign country is fair game because that's what you do in America. All these women are just there to be sexual beings. That's why when we have missions trips overseas with women especially, we have to guard and watch them because they are viewed as playthings in cultures that just observe America from what they see on cable TV. And isn't that terrible? Why? Because greed has come into the heart of America where we see things and people as stuff for us to enjoy, for our pleasure, not for somebody who actually is a child of God, a daughter of God, a man of God who says we need to honor each other. But now, now we use people now. And he says in verse 7, you used to walk in these ways. In fact, he's calling, reminding the Christians, remember, you, this wasn't that long ago for a lot of you. You used to walk in the way, in the way you used to live. That's all past tense. And in essence, he's drawing a line between their former life and the values they had there and their new life and the values that should be here. You used to be there, but you're not there anymore, is what he's basically saying. In fact, this is kind of what Jesus talks about, this putting to death, this you used to do that, but now don't. Jesus kind of takes that on in one of his teachings that often has baffled people. I remember reading this as a kid going, holy cow, following Jesus is hard. Listen to the, what he says in, in Mark 9, 43. If your hand causes you to stumble, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life maimed than with two hands and go into hell where the fire never goes out. And if your foot causes you to stumble, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life crippled than to have two feet and be thrown into hell. And if your eye causes you to stumble, pluck it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into hell. I remember reading that going, wow, I think by now in my life I would have no hands, no feet, and no eyes. <laughs> right? And what made it worse for me as I, I was watching, now this is how... This is how sweet and innocent I was as a child. I was watching Little House on the Prairie. I know, some of you, you're a closet Little House on the Prairie watchers, I know it. But I was watching Little House on the Prairie, and the mom in the, the family was, was having this issue. I don't remember what it was. And she opened the Bible to this passage, and it was like she was just about to cut her hand off with a knife on Little House on the Prairie. Uh, and I'm thinking, wow, Jesus, what are you saying here? He is using what's called a hyperbole. It's an exaggeration to make a very specific point. Does my hand cause me to sin? Does my foot cause me to sin? How about my eyes? You know, there was a time in which, maybe you recall in history, when thieves would be arrested and they would have their hands cut off. There was a story about a thief who was stealing, got his hand cut off, uh, returned to his life of stealing, got his other hand cut off. You would think by now he has no hands to steal with. He used his teeth to steal from people. Are you going to cut his teeth out? I mean, come on. That's the, the point that Jesus is making is not these are the objects that create sin. He's saying you need to put to death the things that cause you to sin. And where does that originate? From within. It starts in the heart. And he's saying you need to put those things to death. 
not self-mutilate, but put those things to death. Consider them dead to you. And that's what Jesus is talking about. You need to cut off or consider dead those things that lead us to sin. And so Jesus did something for us. He put death to bed. He died for, on, the, on the cross for our sins, and he put sin and death behind us. We're no longer controlled by those things. In fact, as Christians, we have a new power source. It's not sin. It's the Holy Spirit that lives within us. And so Romans 8 talks about that. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation, but it's not to the flesh to live according to it. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. So the good news is we have a power source within us, the Holy Spirit, that reminds us of what it means to follow Jesus. Jesus, in fact, said the Holy Spirit's going to come and he's going to lead you into truth. He will teach you as I have taught you. And friends, we have that right here within us. And the role of the Holy Spirit is to help us put to death the sin that keeps trying to clothe us, that keeps trying to work within us. And then Paul continues his list of things that, that we're to take off. And when he uses these words to, to take off or to rid yourself and to put on, it's the same Greek word used about a person who's getting dressed each day. All right? It's like Paul is doing kind of his own version of the popular reality TV show, What Not to Wear. How many of you have seen at least one episode of What Not to Wear? Anybody? All right, we're not going to have you all stand and assess your clothing right now, but you guys get the idea that, you know, behind the, the those who haven't watched TV because you're really holy, here's, here's how the, the thing works. There's a candidate usually submitted by family or friends um, because of the way they dress. And unbeknownst to this person, they are being videoed by the company that's going to put on the reality TV show. And so they video them wearing their clothes to the store or going out to whatever. And, and, uh, and you look at their clothing and go, wow, they probably really shouldn't wear that. That really doesn't look good on them. But for some reason, they can't see it, right? How many know there are sometimes things you can't see in yourself, but others see it, and there's a high cringe factor, to what they see. Now, I'm not just talking about clothes. I'm talking about the way we live our life. But that's what happens. And they, they have this video, and then they're invited onto the show. And what is the first thing they do in the show? They have them put on one of their outfits they liked, and they go into the 360 room. It's mirrors all around them, and they stand there and look at themselves from all sides. Some still don't mind what they see. They excuse away the clothing that they're wearing. But the wonderful and gracious hosts usually talk about what they're wearing in ways that might sound at times belittling. But the whole point is you need to see yourself, really what people see, and sometimes they still don't see it. And then once they're done in 360 room, and we'll talk about this a little bit later, what the next step is, but eventually the hosts have all of the clothes they brought thrown away, thrown into the garbage, and that's basically what, what Paul is doing here. He's doing his own version of what not to wear as he goes on to Colossians 3.8. Look at what he says. But now you must also rid yourself of all such things as these. So we already talked about sexual morality, right? Now he takes to issues that are still reside from within us. Anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other since you've taken off your old self with its practices, and have put on the new self which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. So he says, here's things that are what not to wear for Christians. And we look at this list, and we notice that maybe 
Some of these words hit really close to home. Maybe there's some garments you still like to wear. Maybe in the comfort of your own home, maybe out in public. And so he, had, he lists them. Anger. What is anger? It's a chronic feeling or a constant state of being angry. It's just always right there. And some of you have lived in a season where the anger was just always right there. It's just right there. That's anger. Now, there are times we get angry for good reasons, but anger is, this, what he's talking about is the state where it's always just right there, okay? Then there's rage. What is rage? It's an explosive outburst of that anger that's always just right there, and usually it has a, a very loud or physical component to it, and maybe you've seen somebody rage before. Then there's malice. What is that? Well, it's, it's a cousin of hatred because what malice basically means is hatred with a desire to harm, okay? And some of you, you, there are people you still think about, and you think about them with malice because you have a desire to harm them, okay? Then moves from there to slander, speaking untrue or hurtful things about another person with the intention to harm their reputation or to smear their their, their integrity. We see this all the time in political seasons like we're in now. Okay? Um, then there's filthy language. What is that? Rude and crude speech. And then there's lies. I think we all know what that means. Speaking untrue things. Why? Often for uh, self-preservation or to hurt others. These are things that are not to be coming from a, a follower of Christ. These are things that Paul says we have to put off, that we have to take off. This is useless clothing. And so we come back to that that 360 room on what not to wear. And these never look good. When you look at the show, it's like, wow, I can't believe that person wears that. But when we talk about a follower of Jesus, I think the Holy Spirit wants to bring us into a 360 room and say, take a real look at yourself because sometimes we are self-blind. We can't see it. But the Holy Spirit is faithful to let us know if we'll stop in the 360 room and say what David said, search me, O God, and know my heart. See if there's any wicked way in me. So we had to go into that room as a Christ follower, and, and your old self has practices that want to keep creeping back into your new self. In fact, they're always there to kind of lure you in. But back to our what not to wear example. After the, the guest does the 360 room, then they, they take them out of that room and show them on, on kind of a, what do you call those, a mannequin, what outfit could be appropriate for them, what looks nice and tasteful and actually helps their body type, all right? So here's what you could wear. They show them an outfit. And then after they show them the outfit, they kind of coach them on things to look for, and then they hand them, in place of all the clothes they just tossed, they hand them a credit card to go buy new clothes. And they're sent out to go buy new clothes, and they go to the market, and what do we see most of them doing? Buying stuff they were used to buying, Why? Because that old style is still there. It still is making decisions for them. And how many of you know that just because you became a follower of Jesus doesn't mean the old style is not still creeping in? We have patterns and habits that have crossed over that salvation line with us. But the truth is we can put those to death by the power of the Holy Spirit and recognize I don't have to listen to that anymore. And so they try to find outfits and the hosts cringe when they're watching them on video. And eventually they have to step in and give them some guidance. And how many know we're not going to be able to make this change on our own strength. We need the guidance of the Holy Spirit. We need to be in fellowship with other believers. We need to be in a place where we're learning sound teaching from God's word to make these adjustments of our appetites and our style. And eventually they find the right kind of outfits. 
They try them on. They feel good. The hosts comment on how good they, they look. And that's similar to what Paul's talking about in this passage, that our past still tries to influence us. And because of that, we need to be intentional about putting on our new self, the new style of living for Christ. And guess what? That's a decision we make every single day. Much like you stand in front of your closet or your dresser and go, what am I going to wear today? I mean, every day we got to wake up and say, Jesus, what am I going to wear today? And he gives a pretty good list of what we should put on. Because our new self has some practices that we're to do. In fact, let's look at it, Colossians 3.12. He tells us then, because he's not just about what to take off. He's not just negative. He says, well, here's some things that look really good on Christians. So he says, therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. That should sound familiar because those are actually fruit of the Spirit that Galatians talks about, right? Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all of these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. What Paul is saying is this. You dress according to who you think you are. You dress according to who you think you are. Now, this is true physically as well, isn't it? How many of you remember dressing up like somebody, all right? Again, I'm the only one. (laughs) The only one who dressed up like Luke Skywalker on Star Wars. Nobody else Luke Skywalker dress-ups out there? Superman, Wonder Woman dress-ups? Spider-Man? All right, we we can go there. How about styles of clothing that somebody on TV was wearing and you were like, I got to dress like that? Or maybe it's the cool kid at school and you got to dress like them because they're the style setters. And so you got to dress like them. Now, here's, here's a confession I have worn parachute pants. <laughs> How many parachute pants wearers do we have in the room? You guys know what they are? It's like pants that have way too many zippers. <laughs> and usually they're made from like the same material that you make sleeping bags from. Right? It's just this, I don't know what you call that. It's, it's not spandex, but it's nylon of some sort, uh, very slippery, so you can break dance on the floor, because I, I really never did the break dancing, but I, 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 did, I never owned a pair of parachute pants. But here's what happened. I was at my friend Dana's house, and Dana had four pair of parachute pants. Um, and I wanted to wear parachute pants. So when I got to Dana's house... I took off my pants and put on his parachute pants. How many of you, because your parents had arguments with you about what to wear, waited until you left the house, went to a friend's house, and put on whatever you wanted to wear, right? Yeah. This is what happens, friends, because we're not being intentional. You go to the workplace, you put on that style of how you're acting and how you're treating other people. You go to this other environment where your friends are, and you put on their clothes, And then you come back home and you put on the attire of what feels right in in the home. And Paul's saying, stop it. We don't do that anymore. Rather, we clothe ourselves with Christ in every scenario, in every place that we're to be. We are examples of what it means to clothe. Why? Because you dress according to who you think you are. And our primary thinking, friends, because he said it in verse 1, our primary thinking comes from Christ. And if I believe that I'm a Christian, then that should influence how I dress. Not, again, not physical clothing, but how I dress myself each day when it comes to the character values that come from my life. And Paul reminds you who you are. You don't have to guess. We know who we are because he says, look, you 
are children of God. You are dearly loved. You are chosen people. You are holy. And so our new identity determines how we dress. And he lists it. Compassion. What is compassion? Mercy that moves you to action. Not just, oh, I feel so sad for that person. Compassion moves you to respond to it. Kindness. It's doing something good for someone else. Uh, It's a genuine care for their feelings and for their desires. Humility is a proper view of yourself before God, but it's also this idea that I can lay aside my own rights for the sake of somebody else. Humility is laying down your own rights, and how many of you know that's something we Americans just don't do? We defend our rights. Bless God. But humility is laying down whatever you feel is your sense of right for the benefit of somebody else. Gentleness is the way in which you deal with others. Gentleness, in some translations, is the word meekness. And meekness is basically having power, but under control. So think about the harnessing the power of a horse. A lot of power there, but until you tame that horse, it's out of control. You tame it, it's power now under control. And that's what meekness or gentleness is. It's not losing your power, becoming a doormat, but it's now harnessing that power for the good of others around you. And Lord knows there are plenty of opportunities every day for you to do good for those that are around you. It's amazing to me how busy we are. And we look around at a need and we do nothing about it. I see it out in traffic when somebody's trying to push a car through an intersection alone. It's like, come on, people. This is what we're supposed to be about. Harnessing our power for good. I've seen people leverage social media for such terrible advantages We leverage those things for good, to encourage people. He says we should have patience, which is the state of emotional calm, even in the midst of conflict. At the same time, not complaining or being irritated. Then there's forgiveness. What is that? It's basically giving up resentment or the right to retaliate. And he gives a qualifier to forgiveness. He doesn't do it on any of the other ones, but he says, oh, and while I'm thinking about forgiveness, forgive in the same manner in which Christ forgave you. It's like, well, gee, that sets it up to a whole other standard. So forgive as Christ forgave you. Then he talks about love, and I love the way that Webster's Dictionary defines love based on this agape, this God-love passage. Look at what he says. He says that love is a feeling which animates a person who is genuinely fond of someone or something. Animates a person. Isn't that what love should do? I mean, you know what it's like when you fell in love with somebody, right? All of a sudden, you were like animated about that person, right? It moved you to do things you didn't really think about doing before. Sometimes just really silly, goofy stuff. Why? Because it animated you. And that's what he's talking about. There should be a love that animates within us. God gave it to us. We love because he first loved us. And that love should move into action. It should animate us. For the others. He says that love is like a belt that brings the whole outfit together. Or maybe for ladies, it's a purse. I don't know what brings the whole outfit together. But uh, he says love basically binds it all together. And then this new way of living is critical, not only for your own faith, but for those that are watching. Back to that what not to wear. After they get their outfits, try them on, and it's all perfect, what do they do? They 
go back home for the big reveal. And the family and friends are all gathered in this meeting place, waiting for the big reveal. They kind of, they, they've had a makeover, they're wearing new clothes, and they come out to the sounds of oohs and ahs and tears and hugs and all kinds of things. And, and people are enjoying their renewed family member who has come, and now they look so different and dress so different, and they're so proud. So here's the thing we got to remember, Christians. We do not live our Christian lives in isolation. You don't. People are watching. People are watching. Our love for Christ and our life in Christ should impact and influence all of those around us. So what that means? That our Jesus style of clothing, our Jesus style of living should actually inspire people around us. It, it, it frustrates me that our culture is ashamed of the church. And we've given them plenty of ammo. I, I get it. But it should never have been that way. Because if we did what Paul challenged the Colossian church to do, then all people could do is look at us and be amazed at a group of people who are so gentle, humble, loving, caring, compassionate people. Here's what I know about Jesus. People may not have agreed with everything he had to say, but they liked him because he did good. And we're called the body of Christ. When people see us, they should like what they see. It should inspire them. Even if they don't want to believe it yet, it should inspire them, not repel them away like a bad set of clothing. All right? So here's the question I have as we land this plane. If you were on the what not to wear show and Jesus was the host, okay, if you were on the what not to wear Christian show, all right, and Jesus was the host. What is it that he would tell you you need to change? What is it that he would tell you you need to take off? And he's not going to say it in a judgmental and harsh way. And I'm so glad that the Holy Spirit is like that. Brings my attention not to condemn or shame me. Because though shame, by the way, is often used by the enemy, not by the Holy Spirit. But he should bring things to my attention that just aren't right. And we saw some clothing items that are not becoming of a Christian in the passage he read. If Jesus was your host and you were standing in the 360 mirror, what would he say? You know what, Kelly? That's, that's got to go. You might not see it, but I see it. And that's got to go. So right now as we close this today, maybe just do me a favor, just close your eyes and Envision yourself in that 360 room, but not physically, but things you know that are going on inside your life, those things that come from within, those articles that we clothe ourselves with on a daily basis. Maybe not here at church, because we know there's a certain way to act here, but when you're out in the real world, what do you see? If Jesus was standing over your shoulder, coaching you, what would he say? So, Lord, we bring those to you right now. And maybe we're not entirely seeing it yet. Maybe we need to have a caring friend speak into our life. Maybe we need to just slow down enough to hear the leading of the Holy Spirit within us that's just saying that's not right. That's not becoming of a follower of Jesus. And then may we do what Paul said. Take off those things 
that so easily find themselves surrounding our life, but to put them to death. And that's going to be a decision we have to make every morning like we do when we get up and decide what we're going to wear. We might have to say, Lord, today, this new day, I take off anger. I take off malice. I take off the unforgiveness and the bitterness that has, that has filled my life. And I choose today instead to clothe myself with love, with forgiveness, kindness. And maybe as I'm clothing myself, I'm envisioning a person who needs to experience that from me. So, Lord, help us to be clothed with you. Because I know that when that happens, when we can live as you authentically live, Jesus, there are people who will take notice and they will see us, and not in a proud or arrogant way, but they will see us because that will inspire them. So, Lord, help us, we pray, to clothe ourselves with you each and every day, being careful to not fall back into our old habits of things that are so easy and comfortable to put back on, but to break a tie with those. Say, no longer are those garments appropriate for me as a follower of Jesus. So thank you for your grace, your strength, and your help, the work of the Holy Spirit within us to help us do that. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.